0: Thanks for joining us for this podcast. We hope that it inspires you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about the life and ministry of City Lights Church and how you can connect with us at city-lights.church. Well, today is the last in our series called Dreamers. I hope that you've been enjoying this season, this series. I've, I've certainly been enjoying preaching it. And one of the headlines for this series is the idea that everybody can dream. In fact, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, one of the first things that was declared by the Apostle Peter is that from now on, Not just a few people get to dream, but everybody gets to dream. And what we know is when we get a dream from God and when we get God's vision in us, That gives us a direction to walk through. I think there's nothing more tragic than being in a position where you feel like you can't dream because of things that have happened in the past or current circumstance. But I want to remind you very, very early on to pray for dreams and visions regularly from God. I've been doing exactly what I've been asking you to do And over the past couple of weeks, I've actually started to dream in a way that I have never done before. It's been really cool. It's also been quite uh, supernatural. Some of my dreams, I've woken up with a burden for people and started crying. So it's kind of an unusual thing. I'm not necessarily saying that will happen to you, but I want to encourage you to be in a posture where you ask God for his dream and his vision and to hear the voice of God in your life. And so we've been studying the character, the Bible character called Joseph. All right, Joseph had a dream. And we've been following Joseph's journey from a 17-year-old shepherd to 13 years later being the prince of Egypt. Now, Joseph, as we know, had a dream. Here's one of his dreams. One of his dreams when he was 17 years old, he had older brothers. One of his dreams was that they were collecting the harvest, and I'm going to do a little reenactment. Sorry for those on podcast. You know what, Have um, you've ever seen, when they bind the sheaves of wheat together, okay? Human... Wheat sheave. And so what happens is he said, I had a dream that we were all binding our sheaves of wheat. And then we were laying them down and my sheaf, sheave, sheep, no, sheave, rose up and your sheaves bowed down to mine. Okay, Not the kind of dream you want to tell your brothers in that culture. Anyone here got um, brothers and sisters? The idea is to say, okay, so here's what God's speaking to me about. You're going to bow down before me. And uh, I think you should really take that seriously. Now, his brothers hated him. They hated him for a couple of reasons. One is the favoritism of his dad. The other reason was these kind of weird and wild dreams and also because he was a man, even at a young age, a teenager, of incredible integrity, and he was like an auditor whistleblower for his dad. And his brothers were up to some really dodgy stuff, and he kept reporting it back to his dad. So eventually, as we know from the story early on, they sold him into slavery. They were going to kill him, but they decided second best option: we're, we're a good, good group of people. We're actually going to sell you into slavery rather than killing you. And in the last message, we talked about Joseph in Potiphar's house. Now, in Potiphar's house, Joseph lived as a person of incredible integrity in every area of his life. And he was so trustworthy that Potiphar, it said Potiphar didn't worry about anything that he gave to Joseph's care. I wonder if people could say that about us in our workplace, that anything that we are given, we are completely trustworthy with. I I hope that we could begin to say that. But what happens is because of his integrity, Joseph actually uh, refuses to have an affair with Potiphar's wife. He is sent to prison. Now, in prison, what does Joseph do? Joseph does Joseph's stuff. And in prison, he actually rises As a volunteer slave leader in prison, essentially, I guess. And in fact, the prison warden puts most of the prison under Joseph's control and exactly the same things happen. He's completely trustworthy and integrous. Now, we don't have time to read the whole story, but Joseph, despite a number of things happening, Joseph's life changes in a day. He wakes up one morning, he's in prison. He finishes as the prince of Egypt, having washed, having robes, having food. Now, how did he do this? God promoted him in one day. And I want to encourage each and every one of you that have a dream, even a big dream, that promotion is from the Lord. Seasons of promotion... Come from the Lord. If you have a dream, I encourage you to be faithful with what you have and rely on God to accelerate you. And Joseph, what happened with Joseph, his promotion made him more of what he already was. Joseph is the epitome of the idea, as Jesus says, of being faithful in the little to be faithful in the much. And sometimes we can sell ourselves a lie that says, okay, when I get to, then I will. When I get to this position, then I will. When I have more money, then I will be generous. When I have more time, then I will share it with others. When I am less stressed, I will be kinder to the people around me. That is a lie because... God wants us to live a life of faithfulness in the little so that when he accelerates us and brings us into a season of promotion, then we will have the habits and the lifestyles and the disciplines and the experience in handling more because we've handled less. I think this is really, really important. So how did Joseph get from being a prisoner to being in charge of second in charge of Egypt in one day he did so by a supernatural revelation not his own but interpreting pharaoh's dream from god and so god gave joseph insight into a coming famine seven year famine sorry seven years of prosperity seven years of famine and said to pharaoh this is what your dream means this is what is going to happen and this is how you can prepare for it. And Pharaoh probably did his background checks and his reference checks and he said, look, obviously you hear from God. He actually says the spirit of God is on you. He gives him an Egyptian name that means something like God still speaks. So he recognizes the hand of God, the favor of God, and puts him in this position. In an instant. So, with this regional famine, what happens is this regional famine is actually the catalyst for his family and his brothers to come back into Egypt because they've run out of grain. Many of you know the story, some of you are hearing it for the first time. And so, we pick up the story in Genesis 42. In verse 6, it says, Joseph. Was running the country, he was the one who gave out rations to all the people. When Joseph's brothers arrived, they treated him with honor, bowing down to him. This is a partial fulfillment of the dream. We'll talk about the full fulfillment of the dream, but they come in, their lack of grain has brought them to bow before his reenactment. Bountiful sheaf, sheaf, sheaf of grain. He said, So Joseph recognized them immediately, but treated them as strangers and spoke roughly to them. He said, Where do you come from? From Canaan, they said, We've come to buy food. Now Joseph knew who they were, but they didn't know who he was. And Joseph, remembering the dreams he had dreamed of him, said, Your spies you've come to look for our weak spots. In this instance, Joseph remembering his dream did not bring him joy, it brought him pain. Now we need to pause to understand the reality of pain in Joseph's life. Seventeen years old, betrayed by his family. For the next 13 years, he is either a slave or a prisoner. He has had his youth robbed. No doubt he's been mistreated and abused and malnourished in these certain situations. We need to understand the depth of pain that when this, Joseph no doubt has moved on into this new role and hasn't really thought too much about that particular dream. And something begins to happen to Joseph. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. In the next three chapters, something begins to happen. And I would say that Joseph, while still being a person of integrity, is acting out of character. Have you ever noticed this? Because Joseph begins to do some things that he's not previously known for. Joseph begins to have harsh words. It says he treated them harshly. There is deception there is distrust and we're actually going to see there is physical punishment for his family. Verse 10, it says, No, master, they said, we've only come to buy food. We're all the sons of the same man. We're honest men. We'd never think of spying. He said, no, you're spies. You've come to look for our weak spots. And they said, there were 12 of us brothers, sons of the same father in the country of Canaan. The youngest is with our father and one is no more. But Joseph said, it's just as you said, you're spies. This is how I'll test you as Pharaoh lives. You're not going to leave this place until your younger brother comes here. Send one of you to get your brother while the rest of you stay here in jail. We'll see if you're telling the truth or not. As Pharaoh lives, I say you're spies. Then he threw them into jail for three days. Interesting. Threw them into jail. On the third day, God spoke to them, do this, as you, do this and you'll live. I'm a God-fearing man. You're as honest, if you're as honest as you say you are, one of your brothers will stay here in jail while the rest of you take the food back to your hungry families. But you have to bring your youngest brother back to me, confirming the truth of your speech, and not one of you will die. They agreed. Why did they agree? They're in prison. Not because they thought, wow, this is a great idea. What is happening here, in this story, we actually see the power of unforgiveness begin to work in Joseph's life. The power of unforgiveness. When I was about 17 years old, uh, we lived in uh, Sydney. We lived in this this house and it had a little, the house was kind of down here and a little sloped driveway probably up about this high and i remember it was a foggy night driving reversing out of that driveway i was in a little white mitsubishi sigma i don't think they make them anymore okay 5 speed manual kids nowadays don't drive manuals anyway another i won't rant you had to fill it up with petrol and oil in this every time you went to the uh the petrol station and uh so no parking sensors, no reversing camera. I'm reversing, bang, straight into the neighbor's car. All right, so there, in this case, there was damage that was done. Now, what I did is I left a note. I think I was working at like McDonald's or something at that time. I had $200 in the bank account. It was $250 to fix. Borrowed $50 off my parents, paid the $200, So I made the damage good. So we repaired that car. I didn't crash into it again by the grace of God. And that was made right. Unforgiveness is when there is damage that is done that is not made right. And so the person is left with this damage and they start looking to pay for Payment. They're like, okay, for the person who did this, you need to make this right. And when that is not forthcoming, it is not made right, that is when unforgiveness can start to take a hold. And what unforgiveness does, as we see in Joseph's life, it stirs something up within us. And sometimes it stirs up not just the need for payment but the need for payback, the need for revenge. Not only do I want you to fix this, but I want to see you suffer in some way. And Joseph's brothers felt that this was definitely payback. They didn't realize that it was payback from Joseph, but hear what they said. Then they started talking among themselves Now we're paying for what we did to our brother. We saw how terrified he was when he was begging us for mercy. What a terrible picture, putting your own brother in a well and him begging for his life and you're like, just close up the well. We wouldn't listen to him and now we're the ones in trouble. Reuben broke in, didn't I tell you? Don't hurt the boy, but no, you wouldn't listen. And now we're paying for his murder. Joseph was experiencing the power of unforgiveness. Now, what does unforgiveness do? It motivates rage and revenge. And often what I what I see and what I experience in myself and when I listen to the stories of others, and if you're in a connect group this week, uh, we're going to be uh, watching wherever you are, we're going to be watching a testimony of an English couple uh, called Ray and Vi Donovan who lost their teenage boy in a senseless and unprovoked attack, a gang of youths who were high on drugs and drunk. And in that story, the mother, what the mother experiences is this rage and out of nowhere, she begins screaming for those boys to be killed. And there's something that comes up within us, often that we don't understand, that is motivates rage and revenge. I'm not going to ask you to lift your hands, but have you ever felt that within you? I know that I have at times in my life, and often we might act out of the normal character. Unforgiveness makes us bitter and bound. There's a saying, many of you may have heard of it, unforgiveness is like drinking a cup of poison and expecting the other person to get sick. Unforgiveness, we don't often recognize this, when we have unforgiveness, we actually bind ourselves to that person the grudge that we hold the desire for payback actually tethers us to that person and we can't move on unforgiveness makes us sick and makes us stuck i had a conversation with one of brisbane's leading cancer surgeons part of his he's he's a christian but part of the process of treatment of uh, people who are Experiencing cancer and getting treatment of cancer is actually for doctors, regardless of their beliefs and their faith, to ask their patient, do you have someone that you need to forgive? Because physiologically, unforgiveness does crazy things to our bodies. It's toxic to our bodies, not just our mind, not just our souls, but our bodies. Unforgiveness also keeps us stuck in a moment in time. Because we keep going back to that moment, back to the moment. We can't move forward. And this is what Joseph was experiencing, all of these things. And this, morning, this morning's message is called this. It's called Walking in Forgiveness. Walking in forgiveness. Now, here's a question. Is forgiveness an event Or is it a process? Is it an event or is it a process? The answer is that it is both. Walking in forgiveness requires us to start the journey. It requires us to make a decision. And most often, our feelings catch up with our decision. That's how it works. If you wait until you feel like you want to forgive somebody, I doubt that you ever will. But when we take, say, I'm going to take that first step and then I'm going to begin to walk that out as a process, this is what it means to walk in forgiveness. Now, what is the decision that we make when we choose to forgive somebody? Let me tell you what it is. First of all, it's the decision not to hold it against them and not to bring it up to them, right? That's the the first decision. The second decision is this, to stop telling others about what they did. And the third, and this is different for every person, is to forgive yourself for any role that you have had in it. And sometimes we have a crazy logic where we blame ourselves for things even though we weren't part of it. So this is what it means, those three things. Not hold it against the person, not spread it to others, hold it against the person in front of others, and not hold it against yourself. This is that. So you make that decision and then you walk that out. I know that when I've chosen to forgive people, I, I haven't always felt like, wow. But I've actually continued to do those things in a rhythmic and disciplined way. Now, walking in forgiveness, it does not mean that you have to have any relationship with that person. It doesn't mean that you have to trust that person. It doesn't mean that you have to reconcile that person. It just leaves the options for those if that is the appropriate thing to do. And when you walk in forgiveness, it doesn't mean you forget about what happens. It just positions you to seek justice rather than revenge and payback. Because we know those things are different, right? We know that justice and true justice is deserved for everybody, but we also know that sometimes we are not seeking justice, we are seeking revenge, we are seeking to harm people. So I encourage you, even as I'm speaking, I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Of course he is. That's the power of this message. The power of this message is the voice of the Holy Spirit within you going, you know what he's talking about. It's time to get free. We'll talk about that in a minute. And I want to encourage you that life and the situations of life, this is not something that we need to do, but this is something that we need to master as Christians and as followers of Jesus. The journey of forgiveness and reconciliation for Joseph took many, many years. Now, I I would say the way that I read the text, I would say, say that he began to walk this out But it's interesting as we jump to the last chapter of Joseph's story, which is actually not just Joseph's story. It's the story of Jacob and his family. It's the story of the preservation of the people of Israel, but also the preservation of the region, the nation of Egypt. But as we go to the end, it's clear that forgiveness had not been and reconciliation had not fully happened because when Jacob was dying or had died, his brothers were fearful that he would use that opportunity to kill them all. Okay, pretty common if you understand the culture at that time. That when the patriarch, the, the father, who whose heart was so wounded by the loss of one of his sons, Joseph wouldn't hurt his dad. But sometimes it was a power move for one of the children to take control of the family or the dynasty by killing the others. So his brothers go to him and they say this, After burying his fathers, Joseph went back to Egypt. All his brothers who had come with him to bury his father returned with him. After the funeral, Joseph's brothers talked among themselves. What if Joseph is carrying a grudge and decides to pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. So they sent Joseph a message. Before his death, your father gave this command, tell Joseph, forgive your brother's sin, all that wrongdoing. They did treat you very badly. Will you do it? Will you forgive the sins of the servants of your father's God? And when Joseph Receive their message, he wept. And this is where the dream truly starts to be fulfilled. Joseph comes to a point where forgiveness starts to flow. And I want to talk about walking in forgiveness. And Joseph walked in forgiveness. He chose forgiveness because his father asked him to. And I want to say we walk in forgiveness because Jesus asked us to. This is the primary reason that we as followers of Jesus walk in forgiveness is because Jesus asked us to. And Jesus asked us to follow him in this way. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. When you struggle to forgive somebody for their sin against you, when I struggle to forgive someone, it reminds me of Jesus' struggle to forgive not just the sin of one person, but the sin of the world. Have you ever thought about that? When I am struggling, this person has done the wrong thing against me. It should remind me, it should remind you of the weight of what Jesus has done for us. Matthew 6 and verse 12, the Lord's Prayer says, And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. This is what Jesus asked us to do. And here's what he does. He explains it. He says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ouch. That's a, that's a direct teaching, isn't it? We would say that's a heavy teaching. I love how pastor and author The late Tim Keller describes this. He says, Jesus very explicitly ties God's forgiveness of us to our forgiveness of others. If we expect God's forgiveness and if we have truly rejoiced in it, we will forgive others. If we don't forgive though, it's fair to ask if we have truly received God's forgiveness and been changed by it. If you never forgive sinners... Do you really understand yourself to be a forgiven sinner? The second reason that we walk in forgiveness is this. We walk in forgiveness to end cycle, a cycle of revenge by choosing good over evil and love over hate. Can I tell you something that is true? Is that unforgiveness allows pockets of hate and evil in your soul. It actually gives the enemy a foothold in your life. And Jesus, by his example, by his sacrifice, actually. Gives us the freedom to forgive, but also as part of that, he renews and restores our soul. And unintentionally, we can allow evil and hate, two very strong words, into our soul, into our deep, most inner part through unforgiveness. And when we walk in forgiveness, the daily process, the decision, and living this out, it allows the freshness and the power of God to work within us from the inside out. The Apostle Peter says this, Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Isn't this a different kind of payback? To pay someone back with a blessing. I want to encourage us that as we grow in maturity and as we allow the process of healing and forgiveness, we become less easily triggered. That actually the things that once took us off course, there is no place for them to dwell and so we actually are able to function in the place of blessing. He goes on to say, for the Scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, which I do, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips for telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. One of the ways that we turn away from evil and do good is through forgiveness. Search for peace. And work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Do you know we walk in forgiveness to experience freedom and peace? And many people often start here when they talk about forgiveness. We start about our personal benefit. I want to encourage us, we start in obedience. We start because Jesus commanded us to. But I want to say there is a reality of freedom and peace that if you're stuck in unforgiveness, you will not experience unless you cut the cord to that person. Unless you... You cut the relationship to that moment in time, that hurt in time, and allow yourself to dream again. Because unforgiveness, it does not allow us to progress in our faith. It does not allow us to have dreams and visions. It does not allow us to see the things of God become a reality because we're tied to the past and we're tied to a moment and we're tied to a person when we need to be Release to be everything that God has called us to be. And when we forgive, we cut the cords that tether us to that person and situation. We have the capacity, this takes time, it's a process to stop replaying the incident over and over and we stop letting that person live rent free in our heads. Verse 18, then the brothers went in person to him, threw themselves on the ground before him, and said, We'll be your slaves. Now, the way Joseph treated them, I believe, here is the fulfillment of his dream. And Joseph replied, Don't be afraid. Do I act for God? Don't you see you planned evil against me? But God used those same plans for my good as you see all around you right now. Life for many people. Man, I love that. Life for many people. Joseph's story is a salvation story. And we're going to talk about your story being a salvation story. Easy now, you have nothing to fear. I'll take care of you and your children. And he reassured them, speaking with them heart to heart. Now Joseph's journey, walking in forgiveness, ended up in reconciliation. Let me tell you the final reason we walk in forgiveness. We walk in forgiveness to redeem our story. To redeem our story. Joseph's pain... The evil that was done against Him, it was redeemed. It was used for the glory of God. And it's only when we forgive that we can make sense of our story. It's only when we forgive that we can bring the life of God to those around us. It's only when we forgive can we see how God refashions our story for His glory. It's only when we forgive can we take revenge off the table and make justice possible. It's only when we forgive that we can truly understand what Jesus has done for us. Why don't you take a moment right now. Just close your eyes. As I've been speaking, some of you actually, I understand, may have been experiencing pain. Not my intention to cause anyone pain, it is God's intention to bring you freedom and peace. Freedom and peace. To allow the forgiveness of Jesus to flow, not just in you, but through you and from you. Here's a question for all of us. Who do you need to forgive? Would you be bold enough in this moment to take that first step? That decision. That decision. Say, I'm going to release this person of that debt. Doesn't mean I won't seek justice, but I'm going to release this person of payback. I'm going to release this person of telling other people what they did, even though it was true. And I'm going to release myself from whatever role. Who do you need to forgive? Take a moment. The guys are going to sing. That's going to be cover for you. Just to speak to God and say, God, this is difficult, but I want the peace and the freedom. And I want to say yes to you, Jesus, in every area of my life. I want to live like Jesus, to walk in forgiveness. So as they do, just quietly, just in a whisper, just speak out forgiveness, to say, God, I forgive this person or I forgive myself for this. I pray you'd help me to walk this out, but I'm choosing this moment in time, this place in history, in the name of Jesus. Thanks for joining us for this message. We hope that it has inspired you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about City Lights Church at city-lights.church.